0: Before you enjoy this podcast from Ochre, a heads up that there are adult themes and the occasional swear word.
1: There's a sort of thing with the industry sometimes of working class stories always have to be a bit traumatic. But then the other side of that is our lives are fucking traumatic. Yes, like, yeah. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. my life is steeped in trauma.
0: Have you ever turned on the TV, watched a film or played a game and thought you saw someone a bit like you on screen? A bit, but... Not quite. I'm Evelyn Mock, your host of That's Me On Screen, brought to you by Ochre. Join me as I chat with the creators and consumers of TV, film, and games about how you and I are portrayed in the entertainment industry and the impact it has on our lives. We'll talk about the entertainment we grew up with, what's doing it for us now, and the good and bad that's left its mark along the way. In this episode, I'm joined by fellow comedians Sean Davies and Tamsin Kelly. We're gonna be talking about our comedy inspirations, Shameless, Coronation Street, and carving out a career in stand-up.
1: When you're doing Mock the Week, like they've stopped making that, (laughs) fuck off. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But before we begin, please, can you guys introduce yourselves? Starting with you, Sean.
1: I am uh, Sean Davies. I am a comedian. A writer and a bit of a nuisance I suppose (laughs) I (laughs) I set up Best in Class which is a crowdfunded profit sharing initiative and basically what we do is we support working-class comedians to access Edinburgh Fringe and we help them out as much as we can with with money and we put on a showcase of working-class comics and we won the panel prize last year at the Edinburgh Comedy Awards so yeah
0: that's what I do that's amazing and then we have Tamsin. Can you beat that?
2: My <laughs> name's Tamsin Kelly. I'm a comedian and an actor and a writer. And I take the money that Sean <laughs> kindly. <laughs> and I spend it on nail extensions. Um, (laughs) No, I don't. I spend it on food and electricity. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm from Cornwall, but I live in London now because I hate being happy. Um, And I was on the Best in Class Showcase um, last year. So Sean was, I guess, my boss. (laughs)
1: I mean, technically we're we're a cooperative, we're a collective. There's no bosses here. But who's got the trophy?
2: All the status, Sean. Who am I, Loki scared of? <laughs> <laughs> Sean, <laughs> Sean. Who blink, might not pay Tamsin. your latest invoice? <laughs> <Yeah>. Sean. <laughs> just
0: just blink, Tamsin, and we will get you get out. Get me out of here. Yeah, yeah. Coming from the backgrounds that you come from, but because you're both from working class backgrounds, did you ever find that? you know the arts was that a viable option for you guys to to go into
2: no but I'm just quite like naive and a bit sort of daydreamy and like oh just try I did seven years in the call center thinking like something will happen eventually it takes so much longer like I've been in I started performing when I was about six and like it just takes a really, really, really long time for people like us, I think. We just don't have the con- no connections. It takes you ages to build up those
0: connections from scratch. And to understand that there is a network of connection. Oh,
2: yeah. When I realized that, I was absolutely livid. Yeah. I was so <laughs> yes. annoyed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just thought, people don't like me.
0: <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Because I, I coming to the industry here in the UK, I did not realize how interconnected it was, mm-hmm. that producers went to schools with certain comedians and then it's like, oh, yeah, of course, it's it's my mate they're doing comedy now yeah. and let's get them in and-
1: like people say to you sometimes well, are you working with any producers and you're like
0: well, like, where, where do I find
1: them like what how is yeah. it what are you meant to do like particularly if you're an actor that doesn't live in London as well mm. it's like you might not like mix in those circles and when then when you realise like you'll start chatting to someone they'll be like oh yeah yeah we, like I went to school with him or like you know such a person's is uncle or you know it, it, there is that real old boys network that, yeah. that is at play even in the younger generation and once you scratch the surface you see that and you're like Okay, like most of the people I went to school with aren't in jobs like that. No, yeah. no one I know from school is mm-hmm. is in the arts at mm-hmm. all. It wasn't really something that we could go into. It like my experience is that I was like I did all school plays in school, loved it, loved drama, got an A for me GCSE, was was dead into it. The drama teacher wanted me to go to performing arts college, and she was really adamant. Like she, was, you know, you should go. But I had to audition to do it, and I was a bit like, oh no, don't know no. And they, what did you do, dance as well? And I was like, I'm not, not doing. And dance, or I can't sing and whatever, so I didn't do it. I went and did an MVQ in nursery nursing instead because I knew, even at 15, 16, that I needed a qualification and a job. I couldn't just go and flounce about in tap shoes like that wasn't. Yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? My mum would have killed me if I was going, I'm off to the theatre. And then I never performed again until I was 34,
0: and that's when I started doing stand up. What and so what was it that got you back into performing?
1: I kind of always knew that stand-up was a thing that I wanted to do yeah I've always been somebody that is very interested in comedy, very interested in like sitcoms and always watch stand-up and, and different things on TV and, and people have always said to me you oh, you should be a comedian you should do that you should do that and I always felt like it was something I would do and then two of my comedy heroes who were, um Victoria Wood, and Caroline Aherne, mm. who were both, you know, fantastic Northern female comics. You know, Caroline being working class herself, Victoria not working class, but quite often assumed to be just because she's Northern. They yeah. both passed away um, in quite a short space of time from each other, and it kind of just like a light bulb, but like something just clicked in me, and I thought, you know, like they, they've both left such a massive legacy. They both died quite young, and like I'm, you know, I'm in my thirties and. I haven't even started. And if, you know, I can't just keep it on the back burner of being, I'll do that one day, that'll happen one day. I need to, if I'm gonna do it, I need to do it. If I wanna wanna leave a legacy that's even, you know, one iota of what either of them have left, then I need to stop, you know, pretending that I'm gonna do it one day and get out there and do it. And yeah. I did. I just found, you know, Local Comedy Club was doing a little competition and and I applied. And then off the back of that, I just never stopped.
0: And I just gigged and gigged and gigged. When you were growing up, were Victoria Wood uh, or the Royal Family is what I know from her. Were there any other kind of shows on TV that you guys felt resonated with your experience of growing up you know where you were from i think royal family
1: definitely did for me i remember watching that and thinking you know that is my dad that is my mom like not to the the absolute extent because obviously there are comedy characters but so many things in there that you just you can relate to i found i grew up watching things like like last of the summer wine and things like that where like you know there's sort of these working class characters but they did resonate in terms of like being quite like your granddad or things that your nan would say and stuff like that so yeah i think there the was a little bit of working class representation but it was always within either comedy or it would be like i don't know like the working class people getting murdered i suppose oh, would, be, would happen murdered. quite often <laughs> like or just being the criminals within yeah. things like like we were on the bill quite a lot and things like that but not uh you know it wouldn't be like a drama about working class lives that didn't end in tragedy.
0: Yeah, exactly. And is that your experience as well, Thompson?
1: Well, I think, because those shows are a little bit before
2: my well, time, I... not to brag, not to brag.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so I'm <have> 21. Um, <laughs> and, uh, there wasn't anything. I didn't remember being represented at all. I don't remember watching anything that I was like, I, th- I think only Fools and Horses maybe. But then that was set in London. I'd never been to London. I'd never, <laughs> seen, a ca- I'd never seen a council block or anything like that. Where are you from? I'm from Penzance, like, yeah, ah. out on the way out to Land's End. So a southern extreme of the country, like the oh. very end tip. That's where I'm from. We we only had one Cornish comedian, Jethro, and he died. He died last year. <laughs> the radio station rang me and said, Jethro's dead. Will you do an interview with us? And I was like, what? Like, I'm the new Jethro. Yeah, it's a small pool. It's a
0: small pool. Yeah. And you had a quite a unique um, experience growing up in Cornwall.
2: Yeah. As well, yeah. Obviously, you did not realise at the time, but we living on a council estate in the middle of nowhere. It's a really poor area. It's a really poor area and it's very unusual, I think, to leave but I just wanted to go. I was the person who was like, I am going off <laughs> Mama." I, I remember seeing a, a video of me as a kid and I'm like, what am I talking all posh for? <laughs> like, it's a video of me and I'm just, I'm talking like a Blue Peter presenter <laughs> and, I, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go off and I am going to get some tap shoes and, and really annoyed down Neighbours and uh, yeah, and that that was very much my dream. So I think I did a fake it till you make it kind of scenario and you can tell because your friends start treating you differently she's deluded look at her she's absolutely mad (laughs) and then all of a sudden you start getting oh this thing I did got reviewed and and this oh something's actually happening here and you're like there's a bit of fake it till you make it some of
1: my family think that like I'm I'm deluded now like I, I said to to my auntie the other day on the phone about like comedy's going quite well so I you know I've cut back on on hours in in my day job I only do sort of two days a week there now. And she she was just like, she couldn't believe. She was like, she was genuinely worried about me. Like, I think she thought I was like, people actually pay you to tell jokes and stuff. She was like, and are they... Are you Are you sure you're okay? But I was like, Yes, I wouldn't do it if it like if it wasn't paying me bills. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's 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 a career. Like, I'm I'm doing
0: okay. You should tell her that you're laundering money oh, to yeah, other yeah. people. Sure, she'd love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's it's such a fair point because I remember when I when I was starting out in comedy, I would notice I would go to like get a coffee with a friend and they would pay each time. And so she would pay each time. And then I was like, oh, this is a, like she's so generous. And then I figured out by like the eighth or ninth time, I'm like, oh, no, I think she thinks I have no money. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why she's paying every time. Mm. And then you realize you're like, oh, their definition of success within this industry is if I'm visibly mm. on television or visibly somewhere else. Mm. It's not that, oh, I'm making a salary even though I'm not visible in that way.
1: Yeah. There's only a certain amount of comics every year that will be on live at the Apollo. Not even all of them will become a household name yeah. you know but for the general public who aren't necessarily going to comedy nights or, or seeing all the stuff that you're making or writing on or whatever they don't know that you're being paid to go to this gig or or things like that they just think well not seeing you on the telly yet when, so. when you're doing mock <laughs> the week like they've yeah. stopped making that fuck off yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, but it's also just like this longer extended belief of the people around us that that these types of jobs aren't for people like us. You know, it's not just us that initially thought that. We're surrounded by people who will also agree with that. And that's what's tricky, isn't it? I can imagine, like, for other people that, oh, so-and-so's a comedian. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense, you know? (laughs) Whereas for us, it's like, no, they're not. No, they're not. Yeah. They're just
1: they're ill. Yeah, no yeah. Help. Like I feel like they're <laughs> mentally ill. Yeah. It is it'll, it almost like that whereby it's like people say to you are, you, "Are you still still doing that comedy thing? Then is that like you know like I I can get you in at the Aldi if you there's hours going <laughs> in my place. I mean, do you want? To, they might say to you, "Are you st- are you still on the medication? <laughs> it's like that kind <laughs> of conversation. <laughs> like
0: you know, it's limiting beliefs basically. <laughs> mm,
2: totally. Well, that's.
0: I mean, that's the whole thing about being working class, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Do you find that, you know, what you saw on screen or in media influenced that as well? I I think there's
1: definitely um, that thing of if if you can't see it, you can't be it. There's never been anyone sort of talking about working class writers, talking about working class producers, um, working class anything. There's never been that dialogue or if there was that dialogue, It was on BBC Two when we don't watch that. So, you know (laughs) what I mean? (laughs) If if someone's having that... Like, we're having this dialogue now. But let's be honest, are working-class kids like me and Tamsin were, however many years ago, listening to this? Probably not. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like you need to make sure that the right people are hearing these stories, Mm -hmm. you know? Because you're not... If all the earmarked marked for you is to go and work in a call centre or a factory or down a coal mine or whatever it is at the time, the minute you step outside of that, mm. you you know, it, it, there's no path you can for mm. you to go down. You you don't
0: know what you're meant to do. Do you guys have any other shows currently that you're watching that you're like, oh, this is
2: wonderful. Well, the Rain Dogs was interesting. Did you watch I that? I watched it. Yeah. Did you watch Rain Dance Dogs? No. Oh, I won't talk about it then. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> talk, about it.
2: talk about it. Yeah. So that was a, that was an interesting adaptation of of that. I thought it was a bit. There's a bit of glamorizing of of the poor, perhaps. Oh. And, yeah, a little bit. Just like the, one of the first scenes is the bailiffs are coming round, and they're kind of like. Uh, just chuck some stuff in a bag, let's get out. And like, I don't know about you, but I've had bailiffs at my door and it is absolutely, it's horrible. Mm. It is like so, such an emotional thing to like go through because you really do feel like, man, this feels like the bottom. (laughs) Like this bit. Um, And so to kind of watch it, watch that and you don't see that scene, you don't see scenes like that very often. Mm. I'm sure it was to just, to show us, you know, kind of the tenacity of the character. But, for me, I was like, oh, they've just kind of thrown that away. Whereas, like, you know, I've been through that and it's really, really horrible. So it's hard and it's hard because what happens is there's so little out there that's representing the working classes that when something does come out, all of your expectations are pinned on it. And mm. that is that's why you become so easily let down, because yeah. they there's not enough examples of your experience. So when one example comes out, if it doesn't speak to you, you feel really, really disappointed. Yeah. Um. So
1: I guess that was... I think that representation as well, it's so important. Like, I, th- this is a random story, but my mum told me once that she remembers when Coronation Street first started her mum, my nana, saying to her, there's a new programme tonight and it's all about real people like us. Wow. And wow. they were so excited by it and like, I mean, that's obviously just like a throwaway story but, you know, until that point, everybody on the BBC had spoken like this. There was no, there was no, like, no working class representation at all. Like, we were, you know, and she was just a working class housewife in, in Liverpool and was so invested in the, and she watched Coronation Street until she died, my nan, you know, like, a whole life watching it and like, That representation, Mm. even on like, you know, you know, soap operas are fantastic in the way that, you know, so many people watch them and it gets so much diversity into people's homes that they wouldn't necessarily see. You know, yeah. you talk about things like, um, you know, th- there's so much at the moment around, you know, negativity and harmful th- things around um, trans people. And, mm. you know, a lot of people forget that our biggest soap had uh, a trans character of, of Hayley who married Roy, who, you know, worked in the supermarket and just lived a life and um, was no bother at all and wasn't this, you know, horrible person causing all these problems. And that was a main part of popular culture in like the 90s and noughties. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, things like that are radical and soap operas can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, Coronation Street airs on the comedy side of a soap opera, I think, a lot of the time. And, you know, some of their representations aren't that spot on. But I think in terms of getting diversity into and representation into everyday living rooms, yeah.
0: is it, I think it it works wonders. Yeah, and also it filled a void, as you say, mm. when it came.
2: Well, that's what I was going to say is so mad, is to be like, OK, what shows are there? And then we're immediately talking about soap operas. <laughs> like, is there really, like, that few shows that we've, like, yeah, yeah. I've got to get stuck into soap opera straight up? Like we ran out of comedy shows like
1: yeah
0: yeah yeah um i was thinking about shameless as well did you watch that shameless yeah i saw the american version of that first
1: okay yeah yeah i I mean i've watched both so the uk version i feel yes it does sort of you know it glamorizes things and and whatever but i feel like it it is quite an accurate accurate representation of of a lot of working class environments um and you know the communities that that we live in and and i feel that i a lot of middle-class people watched that and thought, is this a joke? But, you know, a lot yeah. of it is... Is true yeah, and I it is very representational of of what what was going on in you know in the areas that that I've lived. Um, I'd yeah. agree. I think that was probably the closest.
0: Yeah, and it's also the the like there was a story. There was a core story. And
1: I think as well, Shane Meadows stuff. So like all you know, all of this is England things. I think they are very accurate portrayals of working class characters. And yes, they're flawed. And yes, there's issues. But they you know they're just people living their lives. And like you know, with this is England, the way they've followed them across the decade and showed lots of different you know yes traumatic things but also joyous things within their lives as well I suppose like Daniel Blake would be the uh, or I Daniel Blake is the name of the film isn't it Mm -hmm. that's a Ken Loach film um, and all of those kind of things um, spring to mind Um, and again it's poverty stories isn't it and it's that thing of very evocative emotionally loaded films but it is still just those stories of of trauma and Mm -hmm. like I find it a very difficult watch sometimes. Like, I want to watch those things, but I know I need to be in the right headspace to do it. Like, I'm dealing with enough trauma of my own to to take on something else in the form of entertainment. Um, But still, you know, very important work, and I think important for for people not of working-class backgrounds to view that work and and to see it. Also, how recent are these films? Well, yeah, not very. (laughs) And how
2: many of them are female-led? Yeah, yeah.
1: None, mm. I don't think. Mm. I think the most recent thing I can think of that I watched in um, Belfast, that's obviously a story of like, you know, working class people during the troubles and beautifully shot, very sort of cinematic, um, telling a story that, you know, is different from my own experience, but certainly um, another story of trauma, another story of, yeah. you know, surviving, you know, abject poverty and, and horrors beyond belief.
0: You're listening to That's Me On Screen with me, Evelyn Mock. In this episode, I'm with comedians Tamsin Kelly and Sean Davis. How did you uh, reach out to people with best in class?
1: So the acts that I got to be on the showcase and stuff, I just get them like on all the comedy forums and stuff. I just post right. on it, and I put stuff like I've got a good relationship with the comedy press, so they'll always sort of put articles up, and you know people will see it on right. Twitter and whatever. And then what's really nice is like some more established acts have seen what we're doing, and they've you know they've got involved and, and supported us and stuff. People like Frankie Boyle and Angela Barnes and Jade Adams, um, they've sort of helped out and you know done benefits for us and that. so
2: even you saying about like benefits and comedians like helping us out and stuff there is this like charity element to it right just because of the nature of it and what kind of irks me about that it creates this idea that we're trying to push into a space whereby we're not needed Mm. and uh, that's the absolute wrong the industry needs working class voices if you want people to watch your shows you need authentic representation that is the kind of thing that irks me is that you know obviously that it has to exist in the first place yeah. but just that we look like please please let us in let us in mm. when actually the need is the other way the other way around yeah. if you want they to should watch be coming shows. to us they yeah. should of be course. dragging us
1: in because of course and it
2: is changing I
1: think some of the best programs I've seen in the last couple of years like you look at Alma's Not Normal mm. written by Sophie Willen fantastic working class um, comedian and writer and also In My Skin by Kaylee yeah, Llewellyn Kaylee, oh, yeah. amazing absolutely yeah. fantastic working class people this telling country. working class stories and like you know, I believe both of them are produced by the same person as well. Is it Keris Neris? Oh yeah Yeah, Neris Evans. Neris Evans, yeah. Who I believe is also a working class yes, person. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it just shows when, when we've got the facilities, when we're able to create that stuff, we can do it and we can, mm-hmm. you know, we, we can do a bloody good job of it because mm-hmm. like, look mm-hmm. at that stuff when when we're included and when we get to tell our own stories mm-hmm. that we absolutely fly. And I think, I don't know, there's a sort of thing with the industry sometimes of working class stories always have to be a bit traumatic or always mm-hmm. there always <laughs> has to be like, you know, a, a thing. But then the other side of that is our lives are fucking traumatic. Yes like yeah. I'm not you know what i mean like okay. my life is steeped in trauma like most of my stories are based on that like i don't know it's like we we need to be allowed to tell those stories but we also need to be allowed to write fantasy and mm. you know tell other stories and and talk about other things as well um and i do think it's moving in the right direction but i think we need more of us we need that working class experience in the writers rooms because one of the big things about edinburgh and why we do it is because you know an awful lot of people are picked up by agents or, you know, TV shows are commissioned, radio works commissioned, all of that from the fringe. If we're not there, we're not being seen, those stories aren't being told. So it's like, people sort of say, well, well, why do you keep hammering it about the fringe? Like, you know, a lot of Mm -hmm. other working class acts have just gone, I can't afford it, I'm not going. I'm gonna make a podcast or do my own thing or just work the club circuit. It's like, yeah, but if all of TV and radio is commissioned off the back of that festival, and there's no working class people, then you get no working class representation Mm -hmm. on TV and radio.
2: I don't even necessarily think it's about those people being at the fringe and seeing your show. I think it's the opportunity to meet those people in person. I think that's what changes everything is, even
0: if they don't come to see your show, just being on someone's radar. What a lot of commissioners may not be aware or maybe you don't want to admit to themselves is that taste is subjective. Mm. And so if you're going solely on what you consider good comedy or funny comedy, you have to be aware that you're just selectively mm. not choosing a lot of other things or a lot of other voices or perspectives mm. that, you know, speak to so many other people. Based or on your subconscious biases. B- based on subconscious biases, yeah. yeah.
2: And that's why I have found it very, like, beneficial to become like palatable to, and do you know what, that was going to drama school that did that Mm. for me, was I moved straight from that council estate and like it had been very, very violent, especially the past couple of years that I was there, up into drama school and that had to just completely change who Mm. I was really and like, and then developed it from there. But, you know, it's sad to have to be like, oh, I had to make myself palatable to like middle classes. But if those are the people that you're trying to sell your ideas to, then you kind of,
0: yeah. What does that entail?
2: Um, your voice like just the way that you are the like places you're seen at the people you hang out with just all of those things that aren't
1: like naturally inherent to you like what, what I think the way you've made yourself more palatable and your middle class passing like I think that's great but there's also the other side of the argument like yes that does get you into rooms it gets you seen by people and you're able to have those conversations and it's brilliant but the other side of the argument is why the fuck should you have to do that mm. well, and that's what well, makes me me then, of them. Well, I, get, I
0: get that, but once you're
1: in those rooms,
2: then you're the sole mouthpiece for that thing. You know, I, I'm talking about the arse end of nowhere where I'm from and I'm the only person who can talk on Cornish council estates. How many other comedians are there who can talk on Cornish council estates? I don't think there's any. So-
1: Jethro? Is he still he's around? <laughs> <laughs> My dad's dead. Thanks for bringing
0: it up again. Yeah, def- I, I've experienced uh, as a person who's like Asian and stuff, but just a minority, whatever kind of minority background you come from, if you're in invited into the room there's an expectation that the story you're going to tell is about your trauma
1: yes. yeah you're there you're there to be the the mouthpiece of that particular yeah. thing like um i i quite often get emails or people reaching out to me to to give the working class perspective mm. on something and i'm like i, I can give you my perspective yeah, but like
2: can't speak for everyone. yeah
1: i'm um, like part of the thing we do at best in class is, is we acknowledge that our working class experiences are different mm. like you know tamsin grew up in cornwall i grew up in liverpool john was in northern ireland mm. micah grew up in london mm. our experiences are completely different yeah. um you know there's not one autonomous working class viewpoint yeah. um, <laughs> i think that like you know once you can get beyond that then you can start to do the real work so you might just be that that token person to begin with yes but once you've got that foot in the door you can kick it down yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: we just have to pr- we have so much more to prove i think yeah. that's the point the, the amount of proof we have to lay yeah. out before it's like oh no you can actually have a bit more freedom and you can't oh and maybe you know we would accept that kind of yeah. idea from you i think it does come along eventually but it's just like everything else it takes us so much longer and we have have yeah. to do so much more work
0: around it and so if you guys had the opportunity now to sit down with a tv commissioner to speak to them about, you know, how the working class is represented now, but foremost, the stories that you would want to see and how they should go about reaching out to people from the working class to tell those stories and give those opportunities. What would that conversation be?
1: I'd probably start with anger. No.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think we've learned that. As soon as you're angry, wonderful things happen. Or amazing things.
1: There's not enough entry points, I think. And I think what producers or you know the, the people high up need to be doing is they need to be seeking us out they need to mm-hmm. be coming to you know best-in-class shows they need to be coming to you know see people's work and listen to those stories and inviting them to be part of the conversations you know like like that thing of being a performer and a stand up you are a writer you write your own jokes you write constantly Mm -hmm. you're always writing and editing Mm -hmm. so you can write yes writing for TV and writing for radio may be different but you know you you can adapt your style and I think what is often needed is for a lot of working class people they haven't had anyone tell them like since school what to do and how to Mm -hmm. do things and they probably didn't get a great experience in that anyway but if a producer or you know a commissioner came and said we love what you've written for for your own stuff on stage let's adapt that into TV radio a sitcom Mm -hmm. whatever this is how you do it let's get you in this room because there's a block between Mm -hmm. the two I Mm -hmm. think
0: yeah, it's almost as assumed that you know how to do that, mm. but you need that kind of um, development and that that a producer who invests and shows you absolutely. what to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: You have to get really good at using the resources that are available to you. I think I'm like my resources are limited, so what I do have, I'm going to get really good at using. And then, if you have an idea that you are genuinely think this is a really good idea, stick with that intuition and like keep seeing it through. Like I'm last year Edinburgh, while everyone was in Edinburgh doing their shows before I came up to do best in class, I went down and made a tape for an idea that I'd had for a character, which no one really wanted, and but I knew it was a good idea and I'm gonna make this anyway. And then that got sent to the BBC and they commissioned a, a script off the back of that. And that was w- without any like producers really or anything like that. That was just me and a couple of friends and me going, look at this idea. It's actually really good. And then being like, no, it is good. We'll go and we'll go and do it. So just, yeah. yeah. Even if people say like, oh, oh, don't know. Don't take their word for it. Just if you think it's good, it's good enough.
0: Yeah. That's a really good point. The following your intuition. Mm. Yeah. And it might take some time to get it out of your head and into the out into the world. But yeah. If that intuition is saying yes, then, yeah, follow mm. that. Mm. And I just want to thank you so much for being here and talking about this with me.
2: Thank you for having <laughs> us. It's no, been lovely. Yeah. It's, it's nice to be able to, it's nice to talk about this stuff. It's great that these conversations yeah. are happening, if I do say so myself. Um, but it, it, it is, like, yeah, about time that these chats were, were happening. So yeah. thank you,
0: Evelyn. It's been so much fun. So thank you. Thank thank you. Cheers. Thanks so much to Sean Davies and Tamsin Kelly for sharing their valuable insights in today's episode. Now, remember to follow That's Me On Screen wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're interested in contributing, or maybe you heard something in this episode you'd like to discuss further, visit okre.org. That's O-K-R-E dot org. And join the conversation by hashtagging T-M-O-S. Next up in That's Me On Screen, we hear from costume designer Tom Costellos and his hairdresser uncle David Clancy as we look at queer working class representation in our media. That's Me On Screen is an ochre production hosted by me, Evelyn Mock.